In Homer's poem, we see intense affections honed imperfectly, a deadly mix of indignation, rage, and vanity combined to make that age impervious to reason and good sense. Men will not be persuaded. Their offense must be redeemed and vindicated. They must demonstrate their prowess and hold sway against their foes, all whom they demonize and hate. They seek the victory and prize not of great wealth, nor even power. Instead, they pray and fight till every foe is dead, so that they may be proven right. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm T.M. Moore. This is Volume 10, Number 2, Creational Theology. We've been considering the Iliad by Homer from the single perspective of the great shield Achilles bore as he raged against the Trojans in battle. That shield bore the images of Greek aspirations and realities, the longing for prosperous times, peaceful pastures, and proud families. But it also bore the images of war, savagery, and bloodlusts, which were all too common in ancient Greece, and kept those disparate city-states from ever realizing their greatest hopes. The Greeks pursued a vision which continually eluded them, in no small part because of their inability to control their passions. In this final installment on the Iliad, we offer some concluding remarks about the abiding value of Homer's poem. Here is part three of A World That Never Almost Was. This glorious golden shield Achilles bore as through the Trojan ranks he raged and tore. He was the bearer of Achaia's dreams and visions and advanced it through the screams and cries of dying men. That dream before him went, regarded by him as no more than some idyllic hope, which, as he knew, he would not live to see. The thing that drew him on in war was not the dream of Greece, revenged, renewed, restored, and all at peace— it was the rage within him. Rage led him at first to supplicate the churlish, grim, self-centered gods to revenge and consume the ranks of all his allies, and to doom them to defeat and death until the one who slighted him confessed what he had done and asked forgiveness. That would never come to pass. But that same rage, now stemming from his friend's death, Hector's victim, drove him to take arms against his foes, that he might do to them, though greatly multiplied, what they had to Patroclus done that faithful day he warred against them in Achilles' mail and with his arms and helmet. Like a gale, Achilles through the Trojan armies tore until he slaughtered Hector right before the city's gate. What makes the Iliad a classic? Why have generations had this book high on their reading lists? Do we find heroes here? And do we want, like those who forsook children, homes, and wives, to fight a lover's quarrel with their lives and blood? Or is this tragic, pointless tale mere entertainment? Does it just regale us by its episodes of bravery and action? Homer's skill in poetry is evident throughout, although I doubt that most who read this do so to check out the bard's superb devices, rhythms, rhymes, and tropes. In other places, other times, this may have been the case, but not today. Or is there something more that makes us pay such tribute to this work? Does Homer reach some place within us, striving there to teach us something that we know implicitly but have not mastered? Should the rage we see throughout the Iliad ring in our souls like an alarm to question what controls our own pursuits? 
In Homer's poem, we see intense affections honed imperfectly, a deadly mix of indignation, rage, and vanity combined to make that age impervious to reason and good sense. Men will not be persuaded. Their offense must be redeemed and vindicated. They must demonstrate their prowess and hold sway against their foes, all whom they demonize and hate. They seek the victory and prize, not of great wealth, not even power. Instead, they pray and fight till every foe is dead so that they might be proven right. It's this, this lust for self. This was the only bliss that men of that age knew, and it was brief and all unsatisfying, bringing grief and sad regret as often as not. And this strikes a chord in us. We understand that we can be just like those foolish Greeks and Trojans. Every one of us who seeks above all else to gratify the lust for self, revenge, supremacy, or, or just the pleasures of the flesh, discovers in the Iliad a mirror of our sin, of a condition common to all men. In seeing this, we realize again that Jeremiah had it right. The heart is wicked. It will always seek the part or course that favors the promotion of the self, for what the wicked heart must love above all else is nothing but itself. All other interests languish on the shelf and dust and cobwebs. Passion, unalloyed with reason, will no strategy avoid or overlook in seeking to obtain its end, self-vindication. And we read the Iliad, we hear the poet plead with us to see within his narrative our own condition and complaints, to give attention to our own hearts and to test them carefully and only choose what's best for others first. It's not that Homer's plea is seldom heard. Now for millennia, he has brought his insights to the reading eyes of multitudes who understand his wise transcending counsel and lament the fate of those whose lives were snubbed out by the hate and rage of foolish heroes. But we find too often that the resources of mind and conscience can be easily denied whenever we feel we've been cheated, lied to, disrespected, or ignored too long. At such times, we become convinced that wrong is what someone has done to us, and right is what we say it is, and we will fight by every means to make it so. I do not share the optimism of those who insist that reading classics can be good for us to help us to be more like we should be rather than the way we tend to be when peak and impulse rule our soul and we lash out, insult, offend, or otherwise communicate to others we despise them. So this ancient ploy of self-advance and self-assertion is a fool's romance. This groundless hope, this all-consuming cause pursues a world that never almost was. When passions, lusting, churning, raging, drives and motivates the choices of our lives, it's never, ever is enough, it seems, to help us realize our fondest dreams. The effort comes to ruin once it's begun. To break this rule of unruled passions, one condition must above all else be fulfilled. Some power must check our prickly and self-willed proclivities and guide us into love. Such power lies not within us, but above. Visit our website, www.ilba.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. Next in Volume 10, Historical Theology, Patrick begins to summarize his account, the account of his work as Bishop of the Irish people. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ilba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.